I'm pretty sure that a woman writing to us from Arizona and her hiking girlfriends are not going to throw me in the trunk of I a see. car okay, I see that. Yeah. <laughs> under the pretense of taking us to the way. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and public lands. I'm Karen Smith, still Karen for now. I appreciate all the new name suggestions you sent in, and I'm giving each one of them serious consideration. And I'm Matt Smith, still Matt, but I'm thinking about changing my name to Bob since everyone thinks I'm Bob. (laughs) We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. In today's episode, we're talking about our visit to an amazing rock formation in northern Arizona called The Wave. Yes, after trying for years and years to win permits to visit The Wave, we finally got to see it in person in January this year. And the way we ended up getting permits is a bit unusual, so we'll discuss that in our episode as well as our experience hiking to the wave and our thoughts about it. But before all that, we reflect on a couple of our highlights of the summer. And at the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. You know what's been one of the highlights of this year? Unexpected highlights that I would have never thought of? Uh, Finding bacon beef jerky. Bacon jerky. Well, that's that. <laughs> no. I've never seen you so excited. That's that's life changing. <laughs> For a moment, I thought of buying every package of bacon jerky. I was surprised that they had didn't. at the Target, but then I felt that was being piggish. Oh, that's right. And we we don't want to be hoarders no, because we've no. seen too much of that hoarding going on. Right. So we, I left one package there, <laughs> but that's, yes, that's life changing. But no, that, that wasn't the pleasant surprise I was thinking of. <laughs> what were you thinking of that? Seeing Whitey. Whitey. Yeah. Yes. That, that was one of the things that we put on the to-do list that I thought, well, this is hmm. never going to happen. But because it's such an unusual year and things are getting canceled at the last minutes and plans are changing and our travel has been just weird, mm-hmm. but we happen to have a moment in time where it made sense for us to drive to Helena, Montana. <laughs> Kind of in the middle of nowhere else that we would normally travel to and saw Big Medicine, Mm -hmm. the rare white bison. So for those of you who listened to our podcast episode called The Great American Bison Road Trip, we talked about going to the National Bison Range in Montana And we found out about their most famous resident who was born back in the 1930s. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometime. A long time ago. Yeah. He was a rare white bison, not an albino because he had blue eyes. And they named him Big Medicine. His nickname was Whitey. All the the staff members there at Mm -hmm. the National Bison Range, they called him Whitey. Right. Because he was white. They treated him like a king because he was so unusual and they pampered him. And so he lived for 26 years, which is pretty old for a bison. They don't typically live that long. And Native Americans, indigenous people, feel that 
white bison have some spiritual significance, and they're about a one in one to five million occurrence. Five million. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. there's not many of them, and mm-hmm. and there have been others uh, over the years, but this one was particularly interesting because he was born at the National Bison Range, so he was right there, and mm-hmm. yeah, they took really good care of him. The ranger at the National Bison Range told us that when Whitey died, they stuffed him. Is that what's whatever the yeah. taxidermy term is? Mount, mounted <laughs> they him. mounted him, and he's on display at the State of Montana Historical mm-hmm. Society in that, Helena. In Helena, yeah. As Matt said, we thought, oh, we'll put that on the list, and one day we'll get there. But as it turned out, when we went to Glacier National Park around the first of July, and we had plans that fell through because. They didn't open the east side of the park, and we and had weather. no yeah, we and weather. Bit. We didn't have lodging, so we decided to call an audible and go down to Yellowstone. And on the way, we made a beeline for Helena to go and see Whitey. Yeah, we walked in, and it was middle of the week and raining, and no one was there at the museum. And we walk in, and we told the attendant, "We're here to see Whitey." <laughs> and he, he and he said. That's not the first time I've heard that, <laughs> probably, uh-huh. that day. Uh-huh. So anyway, that historical society has a great museum on the first floor also. Oh, There's, they do. There, there are other things to see mm-hmm. there. But, Wonderful uh, exhibits, Native American exhibits and all kinds of things. But what was interesting, so Whitey was upstairs, so we took we took the stairs up. And for some reason in my mind, I had thought that they only mounted his head what? Well, you know, we have a bison head and that's yes, what you do. see. I didn't know that it was the entire whitey. <laughs> it's a f- full mount. <laughs> full mount. Yeah. So you go up these stairs and all of a sudden, Ta-da! there he is. Yeah, standing there in all his glory. It was pretty amazing to see. By the way, we'll post some pictures because I'm sure you're all wondering what he looked like as we did. Yeah, it was it was a thrill. Now, I know we're like super geeky about yeah, bison. There, there but- is a really good chance that you and I are the- <laughs> Only two people that have gotten this excited about a stuffed bison. I'm sure. You know, anyway, that's Mm -hmm. that's who we are. That's right. Yeah, there wasn't anyone else there. There wasn't a line. (laughs) There was there was no line. (laughs) Yeah, the museum workers were walking past us on their way to and from the restrooms, Mm -hmm. wondering Mm -hmm. who are these creepy people? You know, taking pictures (laughs) and doing selfies (laughs) with with Whitey in the back. So anyway, yeah. we crossed that off the list. That's right. Dream come true. Yeah. So it's it's been a good summer. We have we have bacon jerky and whitey. Yeah. So when I look back all the way back to January of 2020, the year started out so incredibly well. It had so much promise. <laughs> yeah, it started out well. We had this huge list. I went out and bought one of those calendars, dry erase board, and it's like four feet by six feet. And I put it in my office and I, with all the, it was a calendar with all the months and I put everything we were going to do this year. The entire calendar was full. I remember. <laughs> That's how it started out. <laughs> and I'm, glad, it, yeah, I'm glad I didn't throw the eraser away that comes with the little <laughs> pens that you get, the white, the dry erase pens. Because that's gotten a lot of use. Yep. Yeah. 
So yeah, January started out great because our dream came true on January 14th, something that we had been hoping and wishing for, for gosh, I don't know, 10 years. We slipped it under the wire. We slipped it under the COVID wire. Mm -hmm, COVID, COVID didn't know. We got it in before March when everything went to hell in a handbasket. Is that a thing that people still say, or is that like no, my, only gran you, you my grandmother? And said. You, you and your grandmother. <laughs> Those are the only two people left, and your uh, your I, grandmothers are both <laughs> passed away. So it's pretty much you. I like hell in a handbasket, but I don't really know what it means. No, it's like the. <laughs> it always reminds me of the scene out of Wizard of Oz when the w Wicked Witch is riding her bicycle. She has a basket. Does, doesn't she put the dog in the basket or something? So. Yeah, and then she's she's going to hell in a in a bicycle basket. That's I, right. Whatever. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, the dream that finally came true for us in January is the subject of today's episode, and that is our experience at the Wave in Northern Arizona. Yeah, you should probably describe what the wave is. <laughs> I always have a hard time with this when people ask us what the wave is. It's it's hard to describe, but it's a so it's a rock formation in northern Arizona. I think I already said that, and it's swirly. Yeah, there's there are troughs that are cut through the sandstone. So the, when the sandstone was laid down, it was laid down either flat or like in dunes. But then the surface is no longer flat, it's the wind and rain have carved troughs through it. So when you're walking up, you're walking through these troughs, for lack of a better word. And there's a couple of big ones and there's some small back alleys. But uh, yeah, and because the erosion has carved these troughs, the walls then are striped because mm -hmm. of the way the Sandstone was laid down. and Yeah, and the the reason that they call it the wave is obvious is because it looks kind of like ocean waves. So you've got this visual of stripes that are waving and kind of they almost look like they're moving, like they're undulating like a real wave. A little, little bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really incredible. It's probably one of the most spectacular things we've ever seen. You know, we had seen photos for years and years. And photos just don't quite do it justice when we we got there. It was just really remarkable to see. And they've been there a long time. The sandstone started forming almost 200 million years ago and then the erosion over, over time. And so, what, maybe 15 million years ago, the erosion carved these grooves or troughs into the sandstone. So it's been there a while. <laughs> a lot longer than we have. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. As far as where it's located, it is in northern Arizona, but we actually started the hike in southern Utah and then crossed over the border. Um, we started at the Wire Pass Trailhead, which is located about eight miles down House Rock Valley Road off Highway 89. Yeah, south and, of Highway 89. Mm -hmm. And Highway 89 runs between the towns of Kanab, Utah, and Page, Arizona. Apparently, there are a few other places where you can access the wave, a couple of other trailheads, but we started from Wire Pass. Now, this area is public lands, and it's part of a Bureau of Land Management area. And this particular spot is Coyote Buttes North, which is part of Priya Canyon Vermilion Cliffs Wilderness. I always get that <laughs> pronunciation wrong. I want to say pariah, but it's not pariah. Locals call it Priya. I think they just skip over that first vowel in the name. So Priya Canyon Vermilion Cliffs Wilderness area is where the wave is. 
So the wave was virtually unknown until July 2009 when Microsoft's operating system Windows 7 was released. And they featured a desktop wallpaper of the wave. And at that point, people were curious as to what and where is this place. And so in the last 11 years, it went from obscurity to this place where everyone and their dog wants to go and see. Now, the reason it took us so long to get to the wave is because you can only go if you're one of the few who are lucky enough to obtain a permit through the lottery system. They're really highly sought after permits and almost impossible to get. You know, I was worried we kept trying and kept trying. I was beginning to worry that if we didn't win one soon, we'd be too old to make the trek out there. Yeah, I think we still have a few good years left in us. <laughs> you think? Yeah. We've always been encouraged as we hiked over the years. We see people older than us on the trails, and they're always an inspiration because we think, gosh, they're they're older than us, and they're still out doing it. But I have been noticing lately <laughs> we're seeing fewer and fewer people older than us. <laughs> this, this last hike we did, I noticed – we didn't see anyone older than us. And I'm, I was thinking, well, where are where are these folks? Are they have they given up? And then, <laughs> then I realized <laughs> we are the old people, <laughs> and we're the ones who who the young people are looking at and saying, "Good for them! Yeah, look at them! Look They're at out them. there! Good for them!" Yeah, with their name tags. Their kids probably dropped them off at the trailhead a couple hours ago and have GPS trackers on them. <laughs> Anyway, I don't have any facts to back this up, but I would wager a guess that the chances of winning the Wave Lottery are only slightly better than winning the Powerball Lottery. Yeah, that's right. But we've been to the Wave, so I don't know. Maybe we should be reallocating some of our permit dollars to Powerball. So they only give out 20 permits per day. So that's 20 people. Yes, 20 people. That's it. And 10 of the permits are available through the online lottery system. And that runs four months ahead of the date you want to go. And then the, there is also a walk-in lottery. And those permits are awarded to 10 people. And that walk-in lottery, the permits are issued for the following day. Right. If so you if win. Right. So if you, just so you know, if you're there on a Tuesday and you have one day and you want to go do the wave and, and you're going to try to do the walk-in, you're doing it for the next day. Right. Now, the online lottery, the way that works is it costs $9 every time you apply. You can apply once a month. Again, you're applying for dates four months out. It lets you choose a first, second, and third option. So you can apply for three different dates. And you can apply for one person to up to six people in your group, one to six people. When we were doing it, it cost $5 per application. Now, you don't get that money back if you don't get the permit. And it also doesn't apply to the cost of the permit. So that's just what it costs to apply. So the Bureau of Land Management people are raking it in. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure where all that money's going, but... Well, they all drove really nice cars <laughs> to to the ranger station or the visitor center there. It just, it surprised me. I'm sure the administrative costs are a lot because 
this is a big deal to manage this whole process, especially, you know, so then they have the walk-in. It used to be at the Kanab BLM Visitor Center, but because of COVID, they moved it to the Kanab Gymnasium so they could social distance people better. And I'm just kidding about them raking it in. Our opinion, my opinion, I know you feel the same way, is they should do these permit kind of lottery things for a lot more public lands and hopefully make a lot more funds, bring in a lot more revenue mm-hmm. because the the management of these lands is incredibly expensive and budgets are always tight. And so, yeah, they're, they're making a ton of money on this process and it, it's probably a drop in the bucket of their cost of managing all the Bureau of Land Management lands in that southern Utah area. So good for them. And, and I hope I hope it's helping them uh, manage their district better. I was trying to find some statistics about how many people do apply. Now, the latest ones I could find were in 2017. And it said that for that year, more than 160,000 people had applied for the year's 7,300 permits. And that was nearly double the request from five years earlier. So your chances of winning the online lottery during the busy months, this was back in 2017, were less than 2%. I know since then it's probably quadrupled. I mean, it has just gone crazy in popularity. Right. If you go on the website to sign up, it actually tells you how many people have signed up for that day mm-hmm. in the future for, for the lottery. And, and some days it's... What is some some days it's over a thousand. Oh, it's thousands, plural. Yeah. Now, one tip though, some times of the year are better than others to apply for the lottery. Obviously, some sometimes of the year are better than others to go to do the hike itself. It can be dangerously hot in this area where, where you're doing the hike in the summertime. I mean, to the point where people have gone out there and and, and died. Uh, yeah. Of heat exhaustion and and other kind mm-hmm. of kind of issues. But matter of fact, years ago, I don't know how many years that was. We were there. We were there to in that parking lot to do buckskin gulch, and there was a news crew, mm-hmm. and they interviewed us because I, I think a couple people had just died recently on, yeah. on the trail, and they were they were talking to hikers. And I was just looking that up. It was in 2013 in July. Three people died at the wave from heat stroke. Um, And so, yeah, it was a big deal. I think they started issuing more warnings to people at that point. And since then, I think a few more people have died. So it's, yeah, the summer can be horrific out there in the desert. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons for this is there's no shade on Mm -hmm. on that trail. Right. So in the summertime, I mean, you're just out in the open. And one thing we didn't realize, because we're not from Utah, um, but I read about this, is that it's not just the sun overhead beating down on your body and can get up to 100, 110, but apparently the slick rock, the rock underneath your feet, also heats up to dangerous levels. So you have the heat beneath you and the heat above you, and it can just cause some deadly conditions. And we've experienced this in other desert hikes. Mm-hmm. In particular, a year or two ago, we were in Canyonlands. It was kind of similar rock formations. And boy, we thought we had enough water. We thought we were all prepared. And we were feeling bad by the time we ended that hike. So even if you think you're prepared, take more water, go slower, mm-hmm. make sure you're covered up, sun hat, all those things. Right. 
So we tried to get a walk-in permit a few years ago. It was in November when we happened to be in Utah. and Well, we thought in November that that would be a good time, that everyone would be home mm-hmm. celebrating the holidays with family, sitting around the fire, having Thanksgiving turkey or doing whatever Christmas parties, wrapping gifts. And turns out <laughs> uh, November – it's a pretty popular time down there. Yeah. However, I think there were about 120 people there. Does that sound right to you? Is that what you're remembering? Yeah, that's a lot. Though. Right. Yeah. But it's way less than applying online. I mean, your your chances oh, are yeah. so much greater. Oh, yes. It, that's that's true. It's better than, than than your chances online. So the walk-in, yeah, it's it's better odds. Right. But so we went in there, you know, you fill out a form – as we were standing around waiting before uh, before the lottery happened, the, the ranger did a really good job of making sure that everyone understood the risks. He warned the group, this is what you folks are applying for here. There is no trail to the wave. There is no water available. There is no cell service. There's very little shade. And what they do is they give you the GPS coordinates and they give you a paper map, and you have to find your way there and back. And the total is about six miles round trip. Okay. So they assign each group a number. So Matt and I had a number, and then they literally put these numbers. What is it? It's like a it's like a bingo. It's thing? like a yeah. It's literally a lottery ball cage with balls inside of it. They tell people pretty early in the process because some people I won't name names, but some people when you get there think that your place in line helps improve your chances of you know winning the lottery or whatever. And they quickly tell people, look, it, you don't have to crowd. You don't have to try to get in line first. You get a bingo number or you get a lottery number and it's going in the cages, and we're going to spin them around. <laughs> okay. Wait a second. I'm not naming names. So you didn't know anyone else's name but mine. Are you talking about me? <laughs> Because I wanted to get there at like seven instead of eight. You're, is that what you're referring to? So I didn't. I didn't name names. <laughs> but, but I'm the only person you knew there. <laughs> so you did really. You did no, I really. Did. No, I did. You threw me under the bus. You did. There's, yeah, you really. Did. No, there's a there's a lot of room under the bus. As Matt pointed out, it does not do any good to get there early or to stand in line outside the locked door. But you have to get there on time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you get there late, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. The, yeah. Yeah. When they close the lottery ball cage, mm-hmm. it does. It doesn't matter what your story is. Mm-hmm. But we were standing there waiting for the clock to hit nine o'clock and the in the lottery to start. And about three minutes before nine, in walks this young couple, and the I'm assuming it was the dad is carrying this two year old toddler sort of over his shoulder, like a sack of potatoes, like a sack of potatoes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And she's sound asleep with her footy pajamas on, which who can blame her? It was, you know, it was early. I was asleep too. Anyway, they they squeaked in just before nine and filled out their form. And then they sort of corralled us all into a small room where we sort of all sat very anxiously as the lottery began. Yeah, the toddler's uh, asleep on her father's lap. Now, just so everyone knows, they don't do that anymore. They crowd you into a room. They've, they've, like we said, they've moved it to a gymnasium, and they only let one person per party go in, and they do the social distance. So anyway, that part of the process has changed. And everything that we're saying is online. 
In fact, a lot more than what we're saying is online. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> Everything that we're not the, saying. The, ac- the accurate information <laughs> like, is online. So you should probably look at that because yeah. we're making a lot of this stuff up mm-hmm. as we go. The Bureau of Land Management has a great website that answers lots of questions. So, yeah, so the lottery started and literally, you know, he pulls out a number, you know, number 42. And then the number 42 people stand up. Yay. And, yeah, they might have four people. And so four of the 10 Spots are already gone. Well, and that's the thing mm-hmm. is if the first group that gets called has six people, there's only four left. Mm-hmm. Now, the ranger did say before everything started, he said, if we have a situation, let's say, where two groups of four get called, now there's two permits left and the third group is a group of four, that he had the ability to authorized special permits for 12 that day. Mm-hmm. So probably wouldn't do it for a group of six, but it doesn't have to be the exact number. Otherwise, you never hit exact 10. So we're sitting there and, you know, the first one is called. And I think that was for two people. And, you know, there's lots of celebration and, and cheers. And then the second one is called. And I think that was like for four. So now we're up to six people. And and again, there's high fives. And and then there was one more number called. And I think that was for two people. And so now there, if my math is right, there were like two permits left. Right. And the very last one, guess who got called? And it wasn't us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the two-year-old. The two-year-old yes. won and her parents. Yeah. And so they, they issued 11 permits. Uh-huh. And I think I heard a lot of – there was a lot of unkind words. From Whis- me? Whisper, well, no, whispered amongst the crowd. I think people were pissed that a, a two-year-old who was asleep on her dad's shoulder got a permit before the rest of us older folks whose opportunity to go see the wave is much more limited. Well, good for them. They, <laughs> they got to go, I think. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We always wondered about do you really need a permit? Well <laughs> – we, yeah. <laughs> we used to wonder. <laughs> I won't I won't name names. <laughs> but I know this person that I hike with often. Because and she <laughs> she's always suggested that couldn't we just go and hike to the wave and say we got lost? Okay. I never suggested that. I just I think you did. wondered if other people did that. The wave shares the same trailhead with Buckskin Gulch, which we mentioned before in one of our episodes on Utah. Buckskin Gulch is a beautiful 20-mile-long slot canyon that's very popular. You do not need a permit. So there are a lot of people who go to Buckskin Gulch every day. And about a half a mile into the Buckskin Gulch hike is the turnoff for the wave. It's not marked the wave. Right. So it's dry wash that you take to get into Buckskin Gulch, and that's where the trail to the wave starts. And we always pass it every time we go to Buckskin Gulch, and it has the sign that says permit required. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you've always tried to peel off at that spot and and go up the trail. And Sometimes I thought it would be fun just to walk like – a quarter mile to see if you could see it, which you can't. <laughs> I think it's, I think if, I think they have a system that knows whether or not you have a know. permit, and like you get three feet past the mm-hmm. sign, and, and the, li- lights go on, <laughs> and alarms go off, and maybe even like a, a net comes flying out of the bushes and grabs you, and 
you go to hiker jail <laughs> for for the rest of your life. Well, not forever until you learned your lesson. <laughs> so one of our trips to Buckskin Gulch a few years ago, as we were starting out through the wash at the beginning of the hike, we sort of ended up walking in parallel to another couple, a man and a woman, and we struck up a conversation with them. And we asked, they were plain clothes. They looked yeah. just like us. Mm, they just had hiking clothes on. Yeah. So we asked them where they were headed, and they said they were going to the wave. And we were joking with them, and we said, oh, can you take us with you? We'll just go with you. We'll just say that uh, obviously you guys have a permit, so we'll just go with you and say we didn't know that uh, we we thought there was a permit for four instead of two. And just, of course, (laughs) as soon as we said it, the man said to us, "Uh, we're actually volunteer rangers, and we go to check people's permits. So it was like, oops. Exactly. You were busted. (laughs) We were busted. So we walked with them the rest of the way, and they had some good stories to tell us about. Well, yeah, yeah, we asked, you know, is there really like some, you know, do alarms go off? Does the net come out of the bushes and grab you? And they said, well, actually, there is a fine for hiking that trail. And they do catch people, and they do issue the fine. Well, actually, they don't issue the fine. They issue the citation. And the citation requires that you go before a judge in Kanab. Mm-hmm. So and, it's a real thing. It you is get- a real thing. And what he told us was the rangers used to get frustrated because they would issue citations to people who showed up without a permit. These people would go in front of the judge and they would say they got lost, that they were trying to find Buckskin Gulch and they wandered off the trail accidentally. And the judge would always let them go with a warning and say, all right, I understand, but don't let it happen again. And I think the rangers were getting really pissed off about that. They were pissed because that's, you know, they're trying to protect this fragile ecosystem and Mm -hmm. people are just freelancing and going out there and then lying to the judge. And so they decided... They would take the judge on the hike with them one day mm-hmm. and just show him this is what we're talking about. And it's very clear when you do the hike that there's no way to say you got lost. No, there is a huge sign that says further access from this point is by permit only. It's it's very clear. So from that point on, after they took the judge out there and showed him the sign and took him to the wave, he started issuing really big fines to people who broke the rules. And I think last we heard, the fine was $1,500 and and possible jail time. I hope it's even more than that now. Right. And people would say, well, I, I got lost, didn't know what trail I was on. And now the judge says, you didn't get lost. You knew where you were. That'll be 1500 bucks. So mm-hmm. it's a real thing, you know, as it should be. I know we we always get frustrated at people who break the rules, but some of these things really have to respect the rules that they set because these some of these ecosystems are very fragile. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's a reason that they limit it to 20 people a day. The other thing that the ranger told us, he was sharing stories of some of the, of the dangers out there and people getting lost all the time because they, they can't find the wave or they can't find their way back to the trailhead. And he told us a story about a photographer who had been out there and he had a permit. And after spending the day out there, he apparently decided to stay on and photograph the sunset at the wave. But as it turned out, he didn't have any kind of headlamp or flashlight to find his way back. 
And the next morning, the first hikers going through Buckskin Gulch found his body. So apparently he just stepped right off of the rim up there and fell 100 or so feet down into Buckskin Gulch and died. It's super dangerous Mm -hmm. to be in these desert areas at night without a headlamp. So fast forward, we've tried to get a permit for 10 years, frustrated every time. They let you know when you apply for your permit, they draw the permits at the beginning of the following month. And they let you know that day. So you you find out pretty quickly whether you got it or not. And so sure enough, the first of the following month from when we apply, we open the email and it always starts off with, we're sorry to inform you. (laughs) I think it says you're a loser. (laughs) That's probably, that's that's what it says. But you can try again. (laughs) And give us your $9 next month. (laughs) Give us as many $9 as you want. That's right. But as it turned out, On October 1st of 2019, a miracle occurred, and we received an email from a woman named Terry in Arizona that changed the course of this whole endeavor. (laughs) Changed the course of your life? Well, I was going to say that, but maybe that's overstating a little bit. Might, but Mm -hmm. anyway, she sent us an email and... She had applied for permits Mm -hmm. in January of 2020 for six persons, and she won. She did. (laughs) And she and her friends from Arizona were going to go do the hike, but she had two more permits. And she invited us, even though she didn't know us. She had read our books, and we obviously didn't know her. But the instant I read her email, the thing that I I loved her right away because she's introducing herself in the email and she said, and I quote, I'm a normal person who likes to hike and drink wine, end quote. There you go. (laughs) Sign us up. (laughs) This is all the... This is all the precaution that you take. Some complete stranger uh-huh. sends you an email and says, I like to drink wine. And I They're in the inner circle. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And okay. giving us permits to Yeah, the we're way. never doing this ever again. Okay. Oh, no. honey. We can't. Never say never. <laughs> no. We are open to all offers. No, no. <laughs> this, is, this is an incredibly bad idea to, to go meet up with complete stranger. <laughs> I know you. If you met somebody in a parking lot and they had the trunk of their car open and they, they said, hello, Karen, how are you? And they would throw you in the trunk and you, you would not know. I'm pretty sure that a woman writing to us from Arizona and her hiking girlfriends are not going to throw me in the trunk of I a see. car okay. I see that. Yeah. <laughs> under the pretense of taking us to the wave. Okay. You're, However, you're never doing that again. <laughs> If it was to the wave, I would go with a convicted felon. I'm All right, just no, telling no, you right no, now. No, no, no. I'm just telling Okay. Everyone who's listening, ignore what she's saying. No, she won't. <laughs> but what's interesting is so so not only did you have reservations about accepting this offer, but our family was like horrified. And our friends, they couldn't oh, yeah. believe it. Because I wrote back to Terry within two seconds. And I said, Oh my God, are you kidding? Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And and I said no. <laughs> you said we, no, no, no. She, 
She could be an axe murderer. Now, it, as it turns out, spoiler alert, she was perfectly lovely and so were her friends. Here's the thing. The reason we can talk about it like this is because they are so funny and have such a great sense of humor. And we told Terry when we met her, we said, our whole family's worried you're an axe murderer. And she's like, oh, I totally get it. Of course they do. And we laughed about it. So I'm, I know she's laughing with us as she's listening. I hope. I hope you are, Terry. Well, <laughs> anyway. Um, she still could be an axe murderer. Well. Maybe this is the part of the plan. <laughs> you lure people in. Let's go on a hike or two. And no, we had our family was like, no, you can't go. Our friend John of John and Lolly, his first response was, who gets your pelts when yeah. you don't come back? Yeah, he, he, wanted he, us, he wanted dibs on the pelts. He wanted us to draw up a new will stating that he would get our pelts and our animal heads if we didn't come back from Arizona, if something happened to us. Well, I think he was he, kind of excited about it. He, he was a little <laughs> excited. Uh, I think he wanted the skunk pelt that he had gotten me for my birthday a couple years before. Um, I think it, it kind of pained him to give that up. He wanted to keep that skunk for himself. But yeah. the fact that we're doing a podcast about this, they, mm -hmm. didn't, they didn't chop us up. Right. So we accepted um, the date was January 14th. Now, I was not worried at all about Terry and her friends. What I was worried about was that it would snow because it does snow there and that all of the beautiful wave formations and stripes that you can see. And by the way, we'll post photos. I, I was just afraid it would be covered in snow and that it would be completely pointless. Well, my big fear was we have driven the road to that area before in the summer. And even when the road's dry, it can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so now it's January. It's a little wet. I could just imagine us, our truck getting stuck out there and us sleeping in our truck for a week until somebody found our frozen body. We actually did take all kinds of provisions in the truck. We took sleeping bags, down blankets. We took food. We took water just in case we literally skidded off the road into a snowbank right. somewhere have, we and we were stranded. We could have camped there for a while. We could have. We were yeah, very until prepared. We could have mm -hmm. camped until spring. So we stayed in Page, Arizona. Now, the House Rock Valley Road that you turned down to get to the trailhead is pretty much halfway between Kanab, Utah, and Page, Arizona. So if you're, if you're going, you can stay in either one. But we had reservations in Page. So we were all excited about doing this hike with our new axe murderer friends. <laughs> and uh, we, we had actually gotten down to that area a few days earlier and did some other hikes. So we had a chance to go to the BLM Ranger Station in Kanab a few days earlier to ask them about other hikes in the area, other drives, and then ask them some suggestions about that road to get to the uh, Wire Pass Trailhead. And the ranger there said one tip, which has surprised me, but it makes total sense now, is she said you want to go early enough in the morning before the road thaws out. <laughs> yeah. Now, any moisture that has had it come down in the last weeks or months is still there. There's not a whole lot of evaporation because the temperature can be pretty cool. And basically that road is just mud and a muddy road can be treacherous and, and, and difficult to, to navigate out there. However, if it's frozen, it's a lot easier to get past. And so she said, 
if you can get out early enough so that the road's still frozen, it's a lot easier to get to the trailhead. And so we're thinking, great, we'll have an early dinner the night before. We'll get up early. We'll we'll drive out to the uh, trailhead and never really thought that, okay, that's only half the problem. Right. <laughs> what happens in the what, afternoon? What happens when you're already out there <laughs> and everything thaws out? Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that uh, in a, just a little bit. So Terry and her three girlfriends, and by the way, Matt, how lucky were you to get to do this hike with five women? Yeah, why did all five of you have axes? <laughs> I was I was so lucky. You were. Yeah. Gosh, that's like every man's dream. Did you know how hard it was for me to be able to see all five of you at once at all times? I, I, <laughs> we actually met Terry and her friends the the night before our trek into the wave. They they were staying in a hotel across the street from our hotel, so we went over there to meet. We drank some wine. And such a great group of women. They are all horse women. They they have these hey, that's, horse. That's unkind. Cared. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were perfectly lovely. They all have horse properties in Arizona. That that's how they know each other. And they were just all lovely, uh, strong hikers, outdoorsy women. I really liked them all instantly. So you are. I'm just going to say you're one lucky guy to get to to spend the day with five women. Anyway, sorry to digress, but the next day they drove their truck, we drove our truck, and we left, I think we left the hotels at 7 a.m. Because it took us about, gosh, maybe an hour to get to Wire Pass. Took a while, yeah. Yeah. The road was in uh, fair shape. Yeah, it it was still frozen, actually. Much better that it was frozen. Mm -hmm. And my worry about the snow was pretty much unfounded. There was kind of a light dusting but I was hoping that once we actually got to the wave, it wouldn't be covered. So we're there at the Wire Pass parking lot. And I got to say, we felt pretty smug that we were, <laughs> we were there and we had passes. I know. We had permits. I know. We could do the – and they, they weren't even ours. Yeah. So we started out. We had food in our pack. We had lunches. We had plenty of water. And so we started off to the wave. Now, it was – and we've experienced this before in desert hikes. It was cold when we started, but we never felt cold. I mean, the temperature was low, mm-hmm. but the sun was out. And yeah, in the shade, it got a little bit cooler. But generally, we're, we're moving. And what went through my head was this is the perfect time mm-hmm. to do this hike. Yeah, it actually, it was a beautiful day. It was sunny. Now, let's, this is interesting because this is sort of the, the, the tale of how we operate. I had the paper map in my hand, which is, is pretty funny because it has pictures on it of rock formations. And so basically it says hike until you get to this rock formation and there's an arrow drawn and it looks like this. And then you turn to the next page and it says hike to this and yeah, geez, we, out there if, in the if, desert, you're if like that's all we had. Oh, we would have. We would still be st- out there. <laughs> we would be doing podcasts from God knows where, northern Arizona. It was very difficult to follow because I kept holding up the pictures, and multiple rock formations would look like the one we were supposed to go to. But thankfully, you had downloaded 
what the the Gaia app. Yeah, Gaia, and that has now saved our lives multiple times. Mm-hmm. G A I A app. No, we don't get paid anything for promoting <laughs> them. Uh, it's our, it's our thank you for them saving our lives multiple times. But essentially, on the Gaia app that I had on my phone, you can download maps when when you have a cell connection or your home and you have a Wi-Fi, whatever. Uh, you can download maps onto your phone. And then later, when you lose cell connection, you can still use the app to track where you are. And because you downloaded the topographical map, it's using the GPS on your phone. So the, your phone can still pick up the G, GPS signal even when it can't pick up a cell signal. So it knows on the map where you're at. And that was so much better. Oh, my gosh. Because we just look at the trail on on the app. Mm-hmm. And based on GPS, it would tell us if we're going the right direction. And, and I mean, you get 30 feet off the trail and, and you know it. Otherwise, we would have been totally lost. Mm-hmm. And I will say that app, I, I love it so much. And I was bugging Matt so much on every hike saying, you know, where are we? Show me the arrow. Because literally, you know, there's an arrow of where you are and how far have we gone and what's how what's the elevation? So finally, I downloaded it on my phone. So I have it too. But just one note, there is, it does cost something. I think, is it like $20 a year? And they have, uh, mm-hmm. they have specials at times. I mm-hmm. think like normally, I think it's maybe 29 bucks a year for the premium. They have sales sometimes. I, I think we mentioned it's about a six mile round trip hike. So about three miles to get to the wave. And it was mostly up and down slick rock. It's not terribly hard. It's not hard, but at times there's there's some uphill. And there uh, was some ice. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, there was some ice that we had to hike around. There's some side hills. Mm-hmm. And so when you have side hill and ice, then it's kind of tricky and you kind of have to figure out where to, you know, how to get around that. But I, I like desert scenery. I like the desert landscape. So I, I thought it was a beautiful hike. The main feature, again, just to emphasize, there's no shade. Right. There's right. There are no trees mm. and you are out mm-hmm. under the sun. Right. Now, when you are almost to the wave, there is, I don't know if you'd call it a hill, there is a, a rock formation you have to scramble up that was that was kind of steep. It was steep. And it, it, it was snow on it. It was surprisingly steep Mm -hmm. and yeah it had snow and we didn't have our micro spikes or anything like that with us it was a little bit treacherous it wasn't physically hard because it's not that long but it's just long enough that you kind of have to look at it and think well how the heck are we going to get up there but you can do it i mean you can just pick your way up the hill right so we get up there and Terry and her friends graciously told us, you guys go first because we want you to see it without us standing in front of you. You guys go, you guys go. So Matt and I scrambled up to the top and we headed through sort of what you'd call maybe the entrance to the wave. And, you know, it's apparent when you're there because the, these stripes and, and wavy formations have started at that point. But you don't see this main photo that everyone captures, There's this really amazing photo. You don't see that right away. So we're kind of wandering through these back little 
gosh, they are just these almost like little alleyways, if you want to call it that. Tiny slot canyons. Yeah, tiny slot canyons. And then, and we're taking photos and I thought, I thought that was the wave. Oh, this is so cool. And then, you know, we're sort of messing around for like 15 minutes. And then I rounded another corner and all of a sudden it was like, no, this is the wave. Well, it's actually (laughs) the photo that you see is looking back from where you came. Yes. <clears throat> so you have to keep going. And then mm-hmm. kind of turn around. And and there was there were a few other hikers, not many. No. Uh, uh, and, and they were taking some photos. So we kind of understood then like where where the main photo is that you take. And what's what's interesting is we have seen <laughs> on Instagram and other places we have seen photos of this area. And we can tell you that there's a there's a meaningful percentage of those photos that are photoshopped <laughs> because there are times when people's body their bodies in the photo are much larger than you would be if you were standing in that spot. So I think sometimes people like manipulate their photos, whatever. I know. Well, and the other thing too, yeah. so I've seen some photos where people they bring props with them. So I saw this one couple who, because it's called the wave, they literally brought in a surfboard, some beach balls, and they put on their swimming suits. And then they pretended the guy was like standing on the surfboard and the woman is tossing up a beach ball. So they pretended like they're they're at the beach. It's the wave. That just pisses me off that people, you know, these these pristine wilderness areas that people bring in props like that. That's that's, that's unusual. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I guess that, that's a rant of mine that I'll, I'll just stop talking about. But thankfully, when we were there, no one had any props. There were six of us and 14 more people. And we saw them all. And it seemed like almost nobody was there. Which was great. And everybody was very respectful and friendly. And I think everybody was just thrilled to be there. After we got up through the wave, kind of saw the area to photograph and went through all the back alleys, uh, we ate lunch on the hillside, kind of overlooking the wave. And then a few of us, I know Terry and I, went way up. We kept climbing up mm-hmm. uh, further on and there were beautiful rock formations and i think there's a second wave there's a hamburger up there somewhere that you can find there's there are other things but we were pretty far along and we kind of got turned around by the snow it, and it, it was windy up there it was, I was, it was up windy there it was cold mm-hmm. and then we got kind of got to the point where the, the snow was pretty deep and so it was getting a little treacherous to Pick your way through these rock formations with the snow, but it was a beautiful day, sunny out. I mean, it probably never got out of the 40s. But we were never but cold. We weren't cold. November, December, January, February, those months, mm-hmm. you might think, well, it's not the greatest time. Actually, might be the best time to mm-hmm. hike that area. Mm-hmm. And if you look at our pictures on www.dearbobbinsue.com, You'll see in the main photo, there is some snow. There was some snow on the side. Um, So it was kind of cool to see that. What I learned from going to the wave was that 
it's one of those places that you go and you look at more than you experience. For instance, if you go to the Grand Canyon and you look over the rim and you take it all in and it's awe-inspiring and it's beautiful, that's kind of how the wave is, right? You go and you look at it and you stand there and it's 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 amazing. But it's not really an experience like, for instance, hiking through the Narrows at Zion where you're spending hours doing something. Right. So I think that's the difference. This is more of a, you get there, you look at it, you take it all in. And then you go home. And then you go home, right? And not to take anything away from it, it's beautiful. But by the time we got there, I'd say we were there for maybe two hours. Does that sound about right? And then, then we hiked back out. Yeah. You know, you'd think it would be easy to hike back. But it wasn't. No. (laughs) It's because the – this is obvious, but I always am surprised when this happens. The hike out looks completely different because you're looking at the rock formations from the other direction. Right. And we kind of almost got lost Mm -hmm. even though we were hiking the exact same trail. And, of course – I had my Gaia app, and so I could get us right back on the trail. But I'm glad I had that app because I can see how people get lost. They, oh, they, they yes. hike out there, and you would think, well, all you have to do is just hike back the same way you came. How, how could you get lost? Well, yeah, I get it now. But we made it back, and well, we made it back to the truck. <laughs> we made it After back to that, the truck. Things got a little right. So we we get back to the truck, and we decided that. I'm not sure why we decided that going south out of the area along House Rock Valley Road was the right way to go. I don't know if the ranger had told us or a friend told us that the road isn't as bad going south. So that House Valley Rock Road goes all the way from 89 in the north to – I don't know what the name of the, the number of the highway is in the south, but you can drive it all the way back out to a main highway and then come back to Page mm-hmm. on, you know, normal state, right. state highway. But it's 20 miles instead of the eight miles that we had come in. So it's it's more than twice as far. I The ranger had said it's, it's a scenic drive and the road is not as bad. So that's and, what we decided to and do. And we had never seen that area. So mm-hmm. we thought, yeah, let's go see it. And I think there's a there's still a trail back there that you want to go see sometime. The White Pockets area is is mm-hmm. kind of off that road. So mm-hmm. you wanted to see what that road was like. So we decided to drive this 20-mile sandy, muddy road south. And, of course, our only frame of reference was driving in that morning when the road's frozen and it wasn't all that bad. So we start driving south. Of course, by this time of the day – it's all melted. <laughs> it was maybe a mile into it. We were in mud up to the axles of the truck. And sliding and slipping. So it- they want Terry and, and her friends, they said, well, you go first. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror. And thankfully, being horse people, they had a big old truck. Mm-hmm. And we, we were in a F-150, so we were in a good-sized truck. But I, we were sinking deep. And I thought, well, okay, this is pretty sketchy, but after a couple of miles, I'm I'm thinking, 
well, we, this must be the worst of it because the ranger told us it was a better road going south. And it just kept getting worse. <laughs> and now I felt like, okay, I've led these women further into the wilderness. Now we're all going to be sleeping out here for a month and eating freeze-dried beef stroganoff. They had axes, so they were going to kill us and eat us so that, that they were okay. But It was so bad. There was one point where we stopped and thought, should we just cut our losses and turn around? But we could not get out of the truck to go back to talk to them because there was so much deep, oh, deep yeah. mud. Deep muck. And of you, course, we had no cell service. We couldn't have turned the trucks around. Yeah. There, there was there was not enough room. So we thought, we'll just keep going. And then about another mile later, we come to this spot where there's a good size hill. Huge hill. It was a huge hill. And I can see by the glare on the road that it's solid mud. And so now we're we're in, I don't know, six to eight inches of mud the whole way. And I can see it's no better on this hill. And I thought, you know, the only thing I can do is we just have to plow forward. Mm -hmm. And if I show any hesitation, then everyone else is going to start worrying that maybe we can't make it. And I just hit it. And we we went for that hill, and I got to say, the Ford F-150 just went through it, mm -hmm. never hesitated. I was, I was sure we were going to, like, live on the side of that hill for the next month. And we just went up, and I could see in my rearview mirror the, the women were hesitating, and they went up the hill. And kind of after that, I, I kind of felt like, okay. <laughs> you had a boost of what, confidence. What, what else you got? <laughs> And then about two miles later, <laughs> everything was frozen again, mm -hmm. which we thought, okay, that's great. It's, it's hard and it's frozen. It's icy. And now it's icy. Mm -hmm. And it, it just – it never got better. The road was not good until the last couple miles where it was like solid ice. And yeah. It took us two hours to get back to Page, and it was it was a nail-biter pretty much the entire way. So anyway, it was it was an amazing day. We went back to our hotel rooms, got cleaned up and and met Terry and her and her friends, our new friends for dinner. I have to say too before we end this, I think one of the things that made it so great was that you know, we got to see it with our new friends and it would have been amazing, I'm sure, for you and I to see it, Matt, but to see it through the eyes of Terry and her friends and and because of her generosity to reach out to us and take us there, I, I think it just made it 20 times better. Yeah, it is great that what we have done with sharing our stories with people, then we get reaction back and people share stories with us and we've met people. And in this mm -hmm. case, we did a great hike and they didn't kill us. And <laughs> it, was, it was all great. I think it turned out great for every single person, except maybe for John. Well, yeah, he's I think they were over for dinner the next month and he's he's looking at the pelts and kind of feeling them like god, I was so close. I was so But you know, John, you can just you can buy these pelts online. That's right. <laughs> just you know, get yeah. on, get online and buy yourself a scarf. Karen, what is in the mailbag today? 
You know what? Before I tell you what's in the mailbag today, I feel like we should have some mailbag theme music that plays. Wouldn't that be fun? What would that be? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You always have these ideas. Okay. I'm going to think about that. Um, mailbag music. Like a postal like, worker. Do, 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 do. No, that's no, – that's, <laughs> Is that Jeopardy? It's just weird. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. So today's question comes from Margie in Spokane, Washington. And she wrote to us, Dear Matt and Karen, I've seen some photos on Instagram of your backpacking trips, and they look spectacular. My husband and I are avid hikers, but we've never done any overnight backpacking. Before we invest money in the equipment, I was wondering how much your packs weigh and how you first got started. I'm 58 and my husband is 62. Hmm. Oh, Margie. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> the packs get heavier the further you go down the trail. That's right. <laughs> until by the time we get to the our campsite, they each weigh one million pounds. <laughs> exactly. Give we, or take. We've done better at getting the weight down. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's answer the second part first. How did we get started? What a few years ago, John and Lolly had this suggestion in the state of Washington. Here we have a fantastic hike, Shy Shy Beach in Olympic National Park, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a difficult place to get to just because of the roads. And then you go through the Macaw Indian Reservation, then you park on the reservation, but you hike back in the national park. To make a long story short, if you're going to go to all that trouble, it's just better to backpack in and stay for a night or two. And you do need a permit, but they weren't hard to get when we did it two years ago. I'm not sure what the situation is right now, but from where we parked, it was about a two-mile hike, very flat hike through a sort of a foresty area. And then we did have to scale a rope <laughs> down, yeah. but it was just a little hill. It was nothing right. hard for, at all. For about 100 yards, mm-hmm. we almost died. But then we, were, <laughs> then we were on the beach and it was... And then we hiked another mile on the beach to find the perfect campsite that John had somewhere in his mind. But anyway, it was a fairly, as backpacking treks go, it was fairly easy to get there, I'd say. So I would suggest starting with an easy backpack mm-hmm. trip. Mm-hmm. Now on that trip, we were new to it, so we got new, larger backpacks for overnight backpacking. We both got Osprey brand packs. No, we don't get paid by Osprey for, for that, but they make great packs, and, and we're very happy with, with those packs. We've used them several times on, on different backpacking trips since. And I remember weighing our packs. For that first trip, my pack was in the 40s, like 43, Mm. 44 pounds. And I can tell you right now that is you do not need to be in the 40s for a backpacking trip of any length. (laughs) But (laughs) uh, that that was kind of a killer. And so we were in the 40s. I think you were in the mid 30 pounds mm-hmm. when we started. Mm-hmm. And that very first one, I couldn't even put my pack on by myself. You had to lift it up and put it on my back, which is ridiculous. Like you, it should not be that heavy. All right. So when we got home, we just started throwing shit out of the back. <laughs> like, I'm not taking this anymore. <laughs> you do have to set your priorities and figure out what you absolutely need to have and what you don't. You don't need as many clothes as you think. Mm-hmm. You're ju- you're gonna smell bad. Just get used to it and take fewer clothes. Generally, you don't need as much food as you think. 
Although food's important. Food is important. <laughs> the quality of the food's important. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else is in the pack that – Well, the one thing that we always debate on and we're always so glad that we brought it are we have these little portable chairs that you assemble once you get there. And I don't know how much those weigh, a couple of pounds – but it is so worth it when you get to the campsite to have a little chair to sit in. Right. Yeah. That's that's one of the last things I would throw out of the mm-hmm. pack. Mm-hmm. Some of the hikes we do or backpacking trips we do, unfortunately, require bear canisters. Mm-hmm. And so the canister itself, empty, weighs, I think, like two and a half pounds. And uh, it's and, big and bulky. Yeah, And you just can't get around that. If that's required, it's required. One other thing that I've tried to reduce the weight is not taking the water filter. Obviously, you need a way to purify water. And so you got to make sure where you're backpacking, there's water available, either streams or lakes. But we've been going to the SteriPen, which weighs nothing. It's mm-hmm. just this electronic light that we filter the water a little bit through a bandana or a little screen, and then we just steripen it, which you swirl it around while the light's going on, and it inactivates any anything living in the water. And so not taking the filter saves a couple of pounds. But, you know, we have our sleeping bags and uh, sleeping pads, inflatable pillow, a jet boil, the food, the clothes, yeah, gotta, gotta headlamp, you know, so it does add up. But We've gotten better, and so you might be referring to the recent photos we posted on Instagram of our backpacking trip into the Enchantments, and we weighed our packs just before we set off, and mine was 30 pounds, and yours, Matt, was what, 34? 31. Oh, only 31? Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So we've gotten a lot better, and and actually, that was pretty doable. That did not kill us. <laughs> and d- didn't get up there and feel like we were missing stuff, like we wish mm-hmm. we would have had this or that. And that was a three-night backpacking trip that we had packed for. Yeah. The other trick is, of course, you have to know exactly what trail you're on and where the water is, not taking all the water you need to get to the end of the trail. So that little 32-ounce water bottle that we carry, that's about a liter. It weighs about two pounds. So on this last hike, I needed about three of those to get to the end of the hike, but I didn't carry three full 32-ounce bottles because that mm-hmm. would have been an extra four pounds. Mm-hmm. I only carried one. That saved weight because then we got water on the trail. Right. So we would highly encourage you to um, to give it a go because – What we found out, there are so many incredible places that we can't get to on a day hike. We can only get there if we spend one or two or even three nights. We would have missed out on a lot of uh, amazing things this summer and and previous summers had we not schlepped all of our stuff up there on our backs. And one of the things that you miss out on is sunset and sunrise. Right. If Mm -hmm. you just hike in for a day hike. And those can be spectacular, just great moments to have, peaceful moments in the wilderness. There's fewer people because day hikers are gone. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And one more quick thing. We talked about a few pieces of equipment that we bring with us. Specifically, we're planning to do a guide in November where we're going to talk about gear that we love and we use all the time, kind of combining it with a gift guide because so many of these things make great gifts Christmas gifts, holiday gifts, Hanukkah gifts for people who love the outdoors. So we will be talking about a lot 
of our gear come November in a special bonus episode. Yeah, so look for that. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobbins. Or you can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. We'll review all the questions that come in, and we'll be answering some of them in our mailbag segment on future episodes. To see pictures from The Wave, go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com. Then click on the Episodes tab, where you'll see all of our episodes. Then click on the title for Episode 16. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information. If you're new to our podcast and you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, we'd really appreciate it if you did. You can post a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen to our episode on another podcast app like Google or Spotify. So do you have a new goal for how many <laughs> reviews you want? Yes. You keep, you keep promoting this. I have a new goal. Now my dream is to get to 500 ratings and reviews. It's your dream? Mm-hmm. We're in the high 300s now. I know. We so can... you're going to blow past 400, right? <laughs> you have to aim high, Matt. Okay. You have to aim high. All right. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by the very talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. And remember, if a stranger ever emails you with extra permits to go and see the wave, consider saying yes. Yeah, that's that such a bad idea. <laughs> you probably should say no, especially if you want to keep your pelt collection in the family. <laughs> 